So instead, if you will all rise with me as we affirm our affirmation, or we affirm our trust in the Lord and in the scripture. So if you'll say with me, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. This week, we are back in Matthew 13, where we started our short series on the parables of Jesus. And we'll be in Matthew 13 this week um, and next week as we finish our series talking about the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price next week. However, this week, we are looking at the parable of the weeds, or as some of you know it, the wheat and the tares. Jesus is speaking here to the crowds, and he speaks in parables. Again, he speaks veiled so that those who have ears will hear and will turn and go to the Lord, and those with hard hearts who do not desire to submit to the Lord uh, will be kept from understanding. In this parable, and in in many parables, Jesus is explaining the reality of the world, the reality of the kingdom of heaven. The question for you and for me is, do you have ears to hear? Jesus challenges his hearers, and therefore us, because we are hearing the very word of God this morning. He challenges us as he ends the explanation of this parable today. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. And I want to speak directly to the children who are staying with us. So children, if you would normally be going to children's church right now, I want you to listen. God is speaking to you through his word. God does not speak only through your children's church workers and through um, your parents, but he speaks through his word through the church. So I encourage you, if you are here, um, pay attention. And I want you to listen for a couple of things, and I want to encourage you to, to maybe do something if you're able to. So this, this parable is a story. You guys, I'm sure, all listen to stories Your parents tell you stories, teachers tell you stories. So listen to this as a story. And I would encourage you, if you're able to, draw what you hear in the story. Find a notebook or um, a pencil or something and draw the different characters. Draw the field that you'll hear. I also want you to listen for a couple of things. Listen for what the seeds are. There's a man who plants some seeds. I want you to be able to tell me at the end... What are the good seeds that the man plants? And what happens to those good seeds? And then I want you to to also be able to tell me what happens to the weeds. There's someone that comes and plants weeds. Who is that someone? Why does he do it? And what happens to the weeds when they grow up? So parents, ask your kids after the sermon. See if they can tell you those things. It's good to digest with children. It's good to digest just in general. Um... So, let's go ahead and read our passage for this morning, the parable of the weeds. First, I will read the parable, which is from, verse 13, or from chapter 13, 24 through 30, and then we will jump to verse 36 through 43, which is Jesus' explanation of the parable. Starting in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat 
and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Then his explanation in 36. Then the crowds left. Then he, sorry, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. First, we will look at the field or the present. We'll look at what is the field, how it came to be. Then we will look at the harvest or the future. What will happen to the field? So first we'll look at the field, then we will look at the harvest. My sermon in a sentence is this. Jesus is coming back to judge the world and restore his people. Jesus is coming back to judge the world and restore his people. First, let's look at the field. In the field, we are told, is the world. So Jesus is explaining the reality of the world. The field belongs to the man who planted it. Jesus tells us that that man is the son of man, which is Jesus. That's his favorite designation for himself. So the world belongs to Jesus and everything in it. It means we belong to him. He is free to do whatever he wants with the field. You and I are a part of this world and therefore belong to Jesus. Jesus made the world good. He only sowed good seed into the field. He only made good things in the world. Genesis 1 and 2 are full of God creating and saying, this is good. Everything that he made, he looked at it and he said, this is good. Sometimes I think we forget this. We are so used to destruction and decay that sin brings that we forget that God made the world and everything in it good. So in this parable, in some sense, Jesus is explaining why the world is full of pain 
and hurt and evil. It is not an exhaustive answer, to be sure, but it does help us understand. After the man sowed good seed, the good seeds, so kids, if you're listening, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. The good seeds are the children of God. After he sowed these things, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. I think it's important to note that when you're looking at a parable, parables are, in general, created to tell one point, and so we don't want to pull things from the parable that are not meant in it. So, for example, when this parable says that um, God, the, the man planted seed, and then while he and his servants were asleep, an enemy came and planted and went away, we are not to pull from that that God was asleep or unaware of Satan's doing. We're not to pull from that that God is somehow absent from his world. We are also not to pull from that that Satan has left. Satan came and did his little destruction and then went away. That's not the point of the parable. Instead, we should um, think of this as Jesus explaining the world. One of the points here is that Jesus did not bring sin and destruction into the world. The enemy did. God does not cause anyone to sin, nor does he tempt anyone to sin. Satan, however, is the tempter. He's a liar. He's the accuser. He brings destruction and ruin into God's world. Again, this is not meant to be an end-all, be-all explanation of why there is evil, why there is suffering. But it gives us some help as we look around and we ask, why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much evil? Well, Satan came and sowed evil. Satan came to Adam and Eve and tricked them. And sin entered the world. And the sons of the enemy, people who have been following Satan ever since, have been causing destruction and pain and bringing death. Sin brings death and destruction into God's good world. There is an enemy of God. There is an enemy of God's people. And one application to pull from this, although not the main one, is that Satan is working to destroy God's people. This is an active thing, ongoing, and is not to be ignored. Believing that there is no enemy already gives him an advantage. If you don't think someone is working against you, then you'll live differently. 1 Peter Chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, tells us this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Satan is working, but he is not more powerful than God. We are called to 
And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to resist the devil. We have an enemy, and he is strong, but we have a God who is stronger. And if you are in Christ, that very God lives in you and with you. Here in Jesus' story, the enemy came and tried to ruin the field by putting weeds in it. Commentaries that I read said that this would be a fairly common way of attacking someone or some country. If you destroy someone's food, you destroy someone's strength. So the people would have been familiar with this. And in fact, I learned um, that it was a law in Rome that it was illegal to plant, um, I always say it wrong, darnel, darnel, which is most likely the weed that was planted in these stories. And, and, and as we all know, things only become illegal because people do it. When we read those silly laws, uh, I always think of one, one I think was a Missouri law that it is illegal to get an elephant drunk. Why? Why is that illegal? Because somebody got an elephant drunk one day and it caused all kinds of problems. As you can imagine. So the fact that this was a law in Rome means people would understand this, that this would be a common way of attacking. It would be an effective way of destroying someone's crops, destroying someone's food source. So Jesus' hearers would be familiar with this. I also learned that the weeds that are planted look very much like wheat for a while. Then when the wheat sprouts, when it produces grain, And when the weeds produce what they produce, they look different in the end. But for a while, and in the parable, for a while, they grew. And then when the wheat produced its grain, then the servants found out. Hey, there's weeds out here. And once the servants realize that there are weeds in the field, and then the man explains how they got there, and he says, an enemy came and did this. This is not just like a few weeds here and there that probably would have been expected Anytime you're growing something, you're like, something else is going to grow. But this obviously was done on purpose. So when they realize that, they ask the man, can we pull them up? Can we get rid of the weeds? It's not good to have weeds in the field. Let's get rid of them. This is not the plan, though. The man says, no, let both of them grow together. If they were to pull up the weeds, then they would likely pull up the wheat as well. The roots have been entangled with each other. Underneath, destruction of one could lead to the destruction of others. Jesus allows both his children and the children of the enemy to live together in his world. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends, on the, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is what theologians call common grace. Both God's children and the children of the enemy get to enjoy the good of God's world. Now, you may be asking yourself with the servants and, and with me, like, I understand the analogy in the, in the story, right? If there's plants, and you pull one plant up and its roots are with the other, you're going to pull the other one up. When, when you go to weed a garden or pull a weed from your grass, you often pull up some grass too. But God is God, and he can do what he wants. 
Why doesn't God just remove all the evil? He could remove all the evil and not remove the good. He can do what he wants. Well, God answers us in that from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 4 through 15. I want to read all of it because I think it's worth reading. As people ask, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by the means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So judgment and destruction is coming. We may say, why hasn't it happened yet? But it says it's coming, and then it goes on in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things thus are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. The weeds and the wheat grow together because God ordains it. Jesus has not come back yet, at least in part, as Peter explains, because he wants people to come to know him. He wants people to come to repentance, to stop living in and loving their sin. And instead, he wants them to live in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father. We are to count the patience of our Lord as salvation. What mercy, what grace our God has for not wiping us all out. Why? Because he wants more people to come to know him. Yet, at the same time, we see Jesus is coming back. And we should be ready. And we should be waiting. And we cannot presume on the Lord's patience. It says in Romans 2, chapter 4, in talking about the judgment of God coming upon people who practice sin, and the judgment of God coming on those who judge others for their sin, yet do the same sin themselves. It says, Or do you 
presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So Jesus has not come back yet. The harvest hasn't come yet, but it is coming. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to come and trust in Jesus. Don't wait to be obedient. Come to God now. This is the reality of the world. This is the field. The weeds and the wheat live together. But a harvest is coming. So let's look at that harvest. Look at the kingdom of heaven in the future. Jesus explains it in verse 39. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So weeds and wheat right now live together, but they will be separated. When everything is pulled from the ground, you don't have to worry about the roots being entangled. You just pull everything up and separate it. Weeds will be burned. God will have all causes of sin and all lawbreakers thrown into the furnace. All lawbreakers. Everyone who is not forgiven by Jesus, they will be thrown into the furnace. If you do not trust in Jesus, you will be thrown into hell. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is not a place for the partiers to go and to hang out. Freddie Mercury once said, I was not made for heaven. No, I don't want to go to heaven. Hell is much better. Think of all the interesting people you're going to meet down there. This is a common thought. It was not unique with Freddie Mercury, but it's simply not true. Hell will not be a place for parties. Hell will not be a place to indulge in all the sin that you loved here on the earth. There will be weeping. There will be sorrow. You will recognize that Jesus was and is God, and you rejected him in his love. It will not be a place to hang out with fun people. It will be a place of judgment. There will be gnashing of teeth. There will be pain. There will be agony. The wrath of God will be poured out on sin and on sinners. God is just. As Exodus 34, 7 says, as God describes himself, he says, I will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generations. 
God will not overlook sin. He will not sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's no big deal. God will punish sin. This is the final place for the wheat. Sorry, the weeds. Very important, different. Sound similar, look a little bit the same as they grow up. Very different. But what about the grain? The grain will be brought into the barn. In verse 43, it says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. We will be with God. We will be in his kingdom. With all sin removed, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers removed, then all sadness will be removed. All pain will be removed. All joylessness will be removed. This is what it is to be in the presence of God. We will be as we should be, made completely righteous. We will no longer struggle with or be tempted by sin. Work will be good. Our praise will be unhindered by divided hearts. Our relationships will be unstained by sin. We will shine like the sun because we will be transformed to rightly reflect God. Now, this leaves me and maybe you with at least two questions. Probably more, but two that I'll address here. The first question is this. If I'm a weed, am I stuck a weed? The very foundation and nature of weeds and wheat are different. I can't change myself. Am I stuck a weed? The second question is this. If I'm a wheat, how should I live while I wait for the harvest? I'm here interacting with the weeds, living with the weeds. What is my life to look like? So first, can weeds become grain? Scripture answers with an emphatic yes. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, says this. Paul is speaking to believers, those who would be wheat in this parable. He says of them, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He was saying, you were once a son of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says to believers, you were once children of wrath. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Paul tells believers, they were once children of wrath. They once followed the devil. But God transformed dead people into living people. The difference between wheat and weeds are their very nature. They may look similar for a part of their life, but they are not the same plant. A weed is not wheat, and wheat is not a weed. They have a different nature. The same is true of the children of God and the children of the enemy. Believers and unbelievers may look similar, but they are fundamentally different. What is that difference? Again, they have new natures, different natures. The believer has been made a new creation, something that it wasn't before. The believer has been brought to life, while the unbeliever lives a life of death. Now, it's possible that a believer and unbeliever look similar in many ways, but they are not the same. And they will be shown to be different at the time of the harvest. The child of the enemy, sons of disobedience, they may be very nice people. They may care for their families well. They may work hard. They may even help those who are less fortunate than themselves. That doesn't make them a child of God. Instead, I believe this is part of common grace, part of the fact that every human being is created in the image of God. However, it does not make someone a child of God. God's children ought to do those things, and I think for the most part, we do. But again, that doesn't make us children of God. The children of the enemy, they might have a biblical view on marriage and on sex. They may love and care for the immigrant, and they will still go to hell. Because there's a fundamental difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. And it is not mere behavior. Behavior is absolutely important, but it is not mere behavior. It is belief and submission to the owner of the field. It is trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is love and worship for the ruler of the universe. 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you do not have a new, cre- new nature, if you are not a new creation, then when the harvest comes, you will be thrown into the fire. But the good news is that Jesus transforms our nature. He takes dead people and he makes them alive. He takes children of the devil those that belong to the kingdom of darkness and makes them sons and daughters of God and brings us, praise the Lord. Colossians 1, 12 through 14 says to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This is how the world works. The harvest is coming. 
Jesus is coming back. When he comes back and when the harvest comes, where will you be? Will you go to the furnace? Or will you go to the barn? All causes of sin will be taken out of the field. All lawbreakers will be removed. And what a day that will be. What a day of rejoicing for those who have been made new, who are in Christ Jesus. And what a day of sorrow it will be for all the lawbreakers. But if you have ears to hear, then hear. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became a lawbreaker. Jesus died a liar, a murderer, a thief, an adulterer, self-righteous and legalistic, lazy and rebellious. He became sin so that you can become righteous. Praise God that he died for my sin. I did not make myself a new creation. I did not make myself alive. He gave me his righteousness. He died for my lust, for my anger, for my laziness, for my selfishness. He is making me new. Jesus can transform you from a weed to wheat. Because he is not only the owner of the field, but he's the creator of it and everything in it. Now, to the second question. How should we live before the harvest comes? How should we relate to the weeds? So, first, if you are not wheat, how should you live now? This would be to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Repent, believe, and become wheat. And then, if you are a believer, let's look back at some of the passages we referenced. Second Peter, which talks about the Lord's patience and the coming of the, the day of judgment, it says, We should live lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And in verse 14 it says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We are to pursue holiness and godliness as we wait for the harvest. And we are to wait patiently and expectantly. Christian, and I'm absolutely talking to myself here, Jesus is coming back. Do you expect him to come back? Do you want him to come back? It's so easy to think it's been 2,000 years. I'm sure he's not coming back anytime soon. But we are to wait eagerly and expectantly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we just looked at Jesus becoming sin so that we could become righteousness. Before that, in verse 19, it says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us, to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Many of us live like Jesus isn't coming back soon. We can deal with that sin later. It's no big deal. We can pray for that friend or neighbor later. It's fine. I don't have to have a conversation with this person about Jesus yet. Often we live that way. Now, hear me. I'm not advocating that you always and obnoxiously share the gospel with everyone around you at all hours of the night. Instead, I am encouraging you to prayerfully and tactfully be an ambassador for Christ. Be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. We know, because we were once weeds, we know that God can transform hearts and lives. An ambassador represents someone or a group. They do what that person would do, and they speak on behalf of that person. Here in 2 Corinthians 5, this is explicitly linked with the ministry of reconciliation. We are to, along with Paul, implore others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. How should we live? How do we interact with those around us who are not believers? Through the ministry of reconciliation. Through declaring to them that Jesus is coming back to judge the world but that there is hope of salvation. There is hope of a life without pain, without sin, without sorrow, without sadness. There is hope of a life with the living God. It is through trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. As we transition to communion, one of the things of communion is is that that we declare Jesus' death and resurrection, and we declare that he is coming back. So as you come this morning, come declaring that to yourself and to those around you. Jesus is coming back. You are saved only by his death and resurrection. Come thinking about how you can be an ambassador as you go out this week, as you go to work, as you start back at school, as you parent your children, children as you obey your parents. How can you be an ambassador? Here at Chatham, we practice open communion, which means if you are a believer in Christ, if you have trusted in him for your salvation, then come and take. You don't have to be a member of this church. You can come up front and take communion here, or if you need more time, you can take communion back to your seat and reflect. If you're in the balcony, there's communion up there for you so you don't have to come down. We also have prepackaged communion available in the back, in the foyer. And if you are unable to come forward, please raise your hand and an elder will bring communion to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your abundant love for us. For your people. Lord, you transform weeds into wheat, dead people into alive people, children of wrath into children of God. Or this is not our own doing, but it's a gift of grace. You became our sin, 
and you give us your righteousness. Lord, we worship you. We praise you for that. Lord, as we come, I pray that you would lay on our hearts and minds our neighbors around us, those that we are in contact with. Lord, give us grace and courage to lovingly speak your gospel to them. To declare the truth that you are coming back and you are coming back in judgment. Lord, give us love for our neighbor.